How best to experience whiskey? What are your top tips for the beginners? So when you take a whiskey, I pour it in the glass, but hold it at the bottom, swirl it around, bring it up and say, hello. Then you go back and say, how are you? And then you go back and say, quite well, thank you very much. Now you've got two nostrils, one will be better as you move around. Now remember, it's not a matter of going like that. You must give it respect, you must be gentle with it. What you're looking for is to forget the alcohol and go into the very heart of the whiskey. When it comes to tasting it, don't knock it back. I want you to swirl it around. Wait for it. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello there. Recording. Let's do it. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. Now, you can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. We've got a really cool episode this week. So we are doing a feature on the exciting future ahead for gaming. Mm, now, our sharp-eyed listeners uh, will notice that we uh, we didn't release an episode last fortnight. We did record an episode, but we decided we weren't going to publish it. Yeah, there were no threats from external agencies or <laughs> um, interest groups involved. It was it was a completely voluntary decision for us not to publish the episode. Yes. Um, that is the official record. Um, yes. Yeah. There is no need to panic. The only record. Yes. <laughs> anyway, what have you, what you been up to the last couple of weeks? <laughs> um, I caught the pox, uh, not coronavirus though. Oh, nice, it was, it nice. was, you know, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't wasn't pleasant. I survived it. Um, still working on this super secret project. Still can't share the details with you. Um, still going to keep teasing it. Eventually, we will talk about it. Yes, I'm so excited. We we absolutely need to do an entire episode on that. When it happens, whatever it is, yes. not that I know, but yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> you do a bit, well, but let's. Well, you do oh, a bit. Well, easy. What have you been up to, mate? Work. Um, as I mentioned a few months ago, we got acquired alongside twelve other businesses. We're now the largest pure cybersecurity company in Australia, Oof. and it's getting busy. Like we're, we're sl- it's going to take. There's a bit of a timeline, and we're going to be merging into one brand. But there's a lot of work involved. We're now starting to do um, uh, really interesting projects, which are much bigger than we could have previously done. And it's getting exciting, um, but yeah, tiring. Met my new boss um, via telephone, a really cool dude. So really excited for what's coming next. Um, Because yeah, I'm just doing digital marketing stuff and it's really exciting. Uh, What else? I've also been looking pretty seriously into getting a NAS network attached storage setup. Now talk talk to me about this. So just a little bit about a NAS because I'm sure we'll 
We'll dive into it in more detail in another episode. But what is a NAS? Well, a NAS is network attached storage. It's basically a bunch of hard drives and a mini computer that you can plug into your uh, internet port. Um, and basically, you can get your files on there and you can uh, access them from anywhere where you want them to. Uh, you can also run sort of very small virtual servers off there. So I can run little things like... Um, Next cloud. Yeah, episode 55, we did a really cool piece on self-host your life. Mm. That was in November last year, and you got me so excited telling me about NextCloud, which is basically an alternative to Google Drive or iCloud or Microsoft Office Suite, but it's self completely self-hosted. And yeah. if I get a NAS, uh, it will cost me like a $1,000 odd just for you know, four terabytes of space, but I can access it anywhere I want. It's completely under my control. I can then host my own version of uh, Google Drive or OneDrive or Microsoft Office or whatever, uh, have my own calendar on there, and then I can basically start unpicking myself from the Google. Uh, you can also do stuff like, you know, if you're a big video person, you can have your own video streaming set up so you can host all your downloaded video and stuff. And uh, I'll be hosting mm. all the FOMO show files on there so it just means that we've always got a backup if youtube you know gets nuked off the face of the planet um yeah i mean this will obviously disappear when the planet gets nuked but it's just cool being able to you know have a bit of governance over my own stuff data sovereignty yes mate i, th I think it's going to be so important as, as we go forward so <laughs> yes i'm super excited for you because i want to yeah i want to pick your brains once you've set it up because it's just it's one of those things I've heard other people talk about and I've never, ever tackled it myself. Well, I was chatting to a friend of mine. He's a, he's a, an ethical hacker and he showed me his setup at home. He spent ridiculous amount of money, like my annual salary on computing stuff. And his setup involved a number of NAS units, wow. incredibly powerful. And it basically it just opened my wallet. So American Express, thanks, my good friend, for that uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've also been reading a, a book you were telling me about, hey? Oh, yeah. I've been reading a book called Blue Ocean's Strategy, um, which is basically uh, – it's a business book. It's about – if you're running a business uh, – you got red oceans and blue oceans. Red oceans are where there are sharks everywhere. There, you know, the the water's bloody because there's so much competition over the same sort of stuff. And this is basically a set of frameworks um, on how to make your business escape the competition and you know improve things that the industry has never done or um, get rid of things that don't need to be there and ways to actually make your business completely separate from competition so that you can be more profitable and, yeah, just basically um, win, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, if you're, if you're in anything in business, from what Joe's told me, I haven't read it myself yet, but it's, it's now on my list. Um, yeah, it sounds super interesting, so we'll put the link in the show mm -hmm. notes. Mm -hmm. It's got some diagrams, so good for those of us like Love myself who diagrams. like a good old picture. Yes. Like pop-up books, you know? Like a pop-up in your book. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> oh, that's the future, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> VR <happen>. books. <laughs> Holy crap. And like, actually... and like the advertising, you've actually like swim through the advertising to get to the content, you know? The free version on Kindle will just, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> anyway, speaking of the future of seeing stuff in VR, mm. 
let's get into the feature. Okay, so we are this week talking about something that's very near and dear to both our hearts. That's gaming and esports. We are in the perfect storm. Yes. We're at a point in history right now where it's basically like the golden age of gaming all over mm. again. Uh, people can play games on their phones. They can play games on consoles, PCs, VR headsets. It's it's all over the place and uh, more and more accessible than ever. Now, let's be honest. Now, none of us can actually read the future. Now, we're talking about the future of gaming and esports. But what we can do is we can definitely look at two things. The first one being just trends from the last couple of years. The second is the bleeding edge technology that's here right now. And that gives us, you know, take what's here, what's popular, and we've got a pretty good, exciting look into what's booming in gaming. And I'm pretty pumped for this piece. Yeah, we're living in an absolutely perfect storm for real breakthroughs in the entertainment industry where gaming is at the core and it's already going to be massive. Well, okay, so gaming. Now, some of the listeners here, yeah, we're not, are not gamers. So, what is the big deal with gaming? So if, if you're someone that wants to veg out, you put on the TV and you consume entertainment. Okay, that's fine. That's fine for a lot of people. And sometimes um, we all just want to do it. Hey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, everyone wants to toss a coin to their Witcher, watch the latest series, um, and it's great. You know, it's, it's, it's very low involvement. You can just relax um, and sit back and, and watch a series. Consume without interacting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but sometimes you don't. You want to interact. You know, sometimes you want stimulation. You want to use your brain. Uh, you may even want to pit your brain against other people. Mm. How do gamers come into this? Well, so gamers enjoy a challenge to keep their brain ticking over as well as to pass the time. And we've known for years that games activate the brain's pleasure senses, and that's that's a lot of research behind that, uh, with sound effects, animations, and experiences that reward you when you play. I mean, look, at like if any of you have played Battlefield, which I recommend as the best shoot-em-up game of all time, you play it with your mates. We do it every few weekends, and we just get on the chat and just go and do some shoot-em-ups, jump in tanks, helicopters, whatever. It's like you, you, you shoot at a bad guy in the game, and you, know, you, you get the sound effects, you get... Yeah, you know, splashes on your screen. It sounds. It's the experience is amazing and it's rewarding. It's so fun. Yeah, and a lot of it's emergent, like particularly multiplayer gaming. Um, there's no script. You know, you just got the the rules, the way the game plays, and it's entirely up to the users. So it's just your team versus your, their team, or you know, one versus one, you versus the other person. Uh, completely emergent and. You know, I know that's one of the main reasons I love it is because, you know, you're always engaged. You're always activated. There's there's always something new and you have to work out new ways very quickly uh, to solve problems. Mm. We've had some amazing breakthroughs in technology. So anyone who's been following technology news, especially to do with gaming, you've heard about the upcoming PS5 and the Xbox Series X. Now, these follow the the PS4 and the PS4 Pro or whatever they were. And now I'm not an Xbox or PS4 gamer, but you've got the Xbox Series X as well. And that follows the Xbox, I guess, 360 or whatever the best one is at the moment. But mm-hmm. there was a piece from What Hi-Fi the other week, and they talked about some of the specs in this technology. Now, this is a massive breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. So they said that the PS5 and the Xbox Series X will have the same brain chips based on the AMD Zen 2 which is capable of powering 8K visuals. So Xbox says that the Series X will be four times more powerful than the Xbox One 
and have twice the graphics processing power of the Xbox One X. Now, both of these consoles are going to feature ray tracing. Now, this is the really interesting technology for making things look awesome. Uh, it's it's already in, in gaming PCs, like the stuff that you and I run, but it, basically it calculates the exact path of a ray of light as it passes through different objects or bounces off surfaces. And the lighting is getting super realistic. Just look at gameplay footage from, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's Battlefield or another game, and it's a far cry. It looks incredible. Mm. But Yeah, go look at some of the Star Citizen stuff and just look at the lighting in that. It's just... Obscene. Uh, just a just a <laughs> quick point before we move on. Like 8K, which is what these two consoles are claiming to the, be able to be supporting. I don't know about you. I haven't really seen that much 4K stuff, but what I have seen is really cool in quality. And 8K is even wilder. Mm, yeah, yeah, and it takes a lot of graphics power to run even 4K, uh, let alone 8K, particularly at some decent refresh rates. Mm. Um, but they've said that both machines will use solid state hard drives as well and GDR6 RAM memory, which is the newest type of RAM, um, and they say that that combo will drastically reduce or even eliminate loading time. Yeah, so like on, on loading a game on the PS5 is going to be 10 times faster than on the PS4, which means that games are going to start instantly. If you're playing a game, like often you'll be used to sitting on a loading screen watching random facts appear in front of you mm. about the game, but mm. this just means if you want to play, you're going to be playing. Yeah, and look, I mean, that's that's nothing uh, real new to us on PC. We've had that for quite a while, and, and PCs have always been... <laughs> PC Master Race? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but PCs have always been more powerful than consoles because the equipment costs more, uh, they're more customizable, your processors, graphics cards, hard drives, you can choose all that. Um, and, like, if you, if you look at consoles and look at what's been happening in PC... Things have been getting wild in the PC world as well. Yeah. Now, I guess a quick note. PCs are more for like nerdy sort of people. And the great thing about this, the fact that this is coming to consoles, means that amazing power is coming to people who aren't always necessarily ready to build their own device. It's already pre-built and these PS5s or Xbox whatevers. But both of us are PC builders and gamers. Now, I'm running a six core processor. Um, now I do a lot of video work for work and that requires after effects and stuff like that. And exporting videos, I noticed when I moved from a four core to a six core processor, it's blazing fast. It means when I'm encoding our videos for YouTube, for example, it takes less than half the time of what it used to take. Now mm. you just moved to a new processor <laughs> Remind us a bit about how has that been? Like, what's that all oh, about? Mate, it's, it's been amazing. So I just, I just recently moved to an AMD Risen uh, processor. It's got 16 cores. Um, it's uh, – look, I can't remember the, the clock speed on it, but I, I haven't even hit 100% on this thing. I've not even come close. It just gobbles everything for breakfast. And wow. um, for those people that have never heard me talk about my workflow before, I run a – a really customized version of Arch Linux, which is you know like a, a a very bare bones distribution of Linux that you kind of build from the ground up. Um, and my work, I generally have to do uh, have to do on Windows for some of it because it uses Office products, and not all the Office products have come over to Linux properly yet. Yeah. So I run uh, I run a, v- a VM with about I think I give it about three gig of video memory and. Uh, 12 gig of RAM. Uh, so I've got 32, right. 32 gig of RAM in this machine. 
Um, and then with what I've been doing recently with this super secret project, sometimes I need to run another VM with like a Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop or something going as well. Mm. Um, and then I generally have And those tabs. are quite intensive on your system. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and you know, before when I was on an Intel, uh, I think it was an i5 before yeah, I had yeah. this, uh, like um, it had struggled. Like I couldn't definitely couldn't run those two big VMs at the same time and everything else. Mm-hmm. So generally I have um, two or three different browsers open with a whole bunch of tabs, <laughs> all sorts of applications. <laughs> you have like um, 300 like, tabs <laughs> open right now, I bet. Yeah, like, Sorry, yeah, I'll, I'll, probably. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of Linux <laughs> is that you can have all sorts of different desktops. So like I have six desktops that I swap between and I, they run on four, four screens. I've got four screens in front of me. So it's just like, it's obscene. Like it's a, it's a stupidly large setup. Um, and I've recently upgraded my CPU and my video card and I just, nothing stresses this machine. It's actually, it's, it's insane. Like I haven't been able to, um, max, max out anything on my machine yet, even when I've been playing games as well. Um, so I made it, it's incredible. Like I'm just, I'm consistently blown away, particularly at the AMD CPUs. I mean, they are just they're, they're they're far and away above what Intel's putting out now, which is which is an awesome story in and of itself. Mm. Now the important connection between that, so the new process processor that you're running, and you're running a huge amount of stuff, and this is that takes a huge amount of computing power. That is running. You're running a Ryzen with 16 cores. Yep. These new PS5s and Xbox Series Xs, they're running the same uh, Zen 2, which is what Ryzen's built on. The same thing. So these consoles are going to be massively powerful. And if you, an intensive computer user, aren't able to max it out, then my goodness, these consoles are going to be exciting. So let's let's move on. What about breakthroughs in game engines? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of the game engines that are out there. Yeah. So the, the, the big ticket ones are Unreal and Unity. They're kind of the, the ones, the two ones that... Um, a lot of games are using uh, Unreal is amazing. Uh, it's they've put out a consistently good engine now for probably 20, 25 years. Um, and the latest one is just super powerful. Um, the game we talk about a lot, Star Citizen, uh, it's the engine I wish they would have gone with. Mm-hmm. Um, they went with uh, Crytek's engine, oh, yeah, um, the Cry engine, yeah. and then Crytek went bust and they had to kind of take it over and they uh, do a whole bunch of work. Uh, so the the back end's Lumberyard, right. and uh, it's really it's it's kind of like a Frankenstein of Lumberyard and CryEngine. Right. And yeah. Lumberyard um, is owned by Amazon now, isn't it? They took yes. CryEngine and made that Amazon. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Cloud Imperium Games, um, they are kind of doing the engine development for Lumberyard for wow. a lot of the Lumberyard for Amazon. Um, and so the, yeah, that's Amazon's offering. Uh, they're su- they're they're tooling it out really nicely. Um, so that's, that's definitely up and coming. And the big thing about Lumberyard is it integrates directly with all of Amazon servers and on demand processing and all that kind of stuff. So there's some really cool stuff going on there. So you mentioned Unreal. Now that's one of the big popular engines. Um, and we, we also uh, crossed over to Lumberyard, which Amazon bought. Um, what what are the other, uh, major engines, I guess, in, in really good quality games? Yes, there's an engine called Unity, uh, which and Unity is a really interesting one. It's it's largely open source. Um, it's kind of the um, it's, it's it's very adaptable, very usable. I think a lot of universities do a lot of development for it. 
Um, and it's a really cool. It's what a lot of indie games use. Mm. Um, so they, you know, that that it's a big favorite for uh, indie games because it's it's super easy to edit, to drop assets in, all sorts of stuff. So that's uh, and and amazing too. Like if you look at the difference between the old Unity and the new Unity, um, it's night and day. Uh, wow. They've done a super good job with that. Um, and then there's another engine called Frostbite, which is what um, a lot of the EA games use. Yeah. And that came out of Dice, which who developed Battlefield. Yeah. So that's kind of their um, super, uh, like it's a very pretty engine. Now, it's really, really nice. You know me, I'm biased towards Battlefield, which is an amazing <laughs> game. Uh, Frostbite, one of the things I love about this game engine is that they bring in destruction. So mm. you and I, we play on these games where let's say there's a city and, you know, there are two teams and we're all fighting each other with guns and tanks and whatever. Frostbite brings in like physics and destruction. So if there's a sniper sitting behind a window, if you launch a rocket towards a window, the whole wall blows open mm. and that sniper position is no longer safe. Whereas in something like Call of Duty, that sniper is absolutely fine if you launch a rocket at them. But yep. that's that's something that's really cool about this. Now, I guess with game engines, you can actually um, Amazon Lumberyard, for example, is completely free. You can download it to your computer. I've actually got it installed on mine. You mm. can start building a game or a virtual reality environment completely free, and it costs you yep. nothing. And it's getting easier and easier to build cool games. The tools, the tool sets for the game for builders which any of our listeners could do if they watched a few YouTube tutorials and then installed the engine, um, Unreal and Lumberyard in particular, it's pretty nuts. It, it is crazy. And Lumberyard, um, they're using that in all sorts of VR products now too. Um, and they take that ethos to that, those other products. So um, Amazon have a VR, I'm, I'm blanking on the name now, product that you can jump in and using Lumberyard's technology, basically start building VR worlds and they've got like a whole tool set behind it to make it so that you can share that with your friends and, um, you know, have people come into it and it's just, it's, it's super cool. Mm. They're doing, just doing amazing stuff with that. So they're playing catch up. Um, they've got a big uh, push behind them from the Star Citizen guys. Like they're doing a lot of the backend development for that stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, um, there's just some really cool stuff going on in these game engines and they're just letting people, the, the big thing about engines and why they're so important is they take away a lot of the work. So like if you have a really solid, it's like, a, it's like having a big foundation with a whole bunch of libraries and those libraries have already been developed by other people. Um, they, they, they already make it, you know, you can, you can like type in character and you'll have like a standard character pop up mm. and it'll be super high fidelity. It'll have all these attributes that you don't need to program anymore. Mm. Um, it's already done for you. And so yeah, like if you want to, if you want to create, add a window to a building, it already knows that a window is transparent. The light reflects yep. off it. So it looks great by default as opposed to you having to say, okay, this is a window. It's got this transparency. It's got this, this. You're right. So keep going. Well, with that, and, that, and that's taken us like 35 years of game development to get to this point. You know, like it's not, it's not something that's happened overnight. Like it, uh, we, we forget that, you know, in the real world, all these rules are hard coded into our environment. You know, right? We, um, the rules for physics, the rules for um, light, sound, um, 
even like something so simple as not falling through a floor, you know, like that's all hard coded. Yeah. In the gaming world, the developers, like the early developers, had to code all that stuff in themselves. You know, like they had to they had to make it very clear how all these things worked. And it was, um, I mean, I remember the early two thousands. There were so many game engines because everyone was trying to do this in different ways. And you know, over time, we've built upon it, built upon it, gradually standardized. These companies have bought other companies, and now we've got these massive huge engines um, that people can just use as platforms to to cut years off their development time, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. And, like, so so I guess, like, it's getting easier than ever to build and it's only going to keep getting easier. So if, if anyone who's listening is interested in building a game, I really recommend just look into Unreal Engine or Lumberyard, watch some YouTube tu- tutorials, and you can be setting up by the end of the night, you you could be creating a 3D room that you could see in virtual reality. Mm. Uh, crazy, crazy. Let's move on to esports because esports is at the core of gaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not all people who um, can watch gameplay can play because, you know, they either don't have the money to get a good computer or they don't have the time to... Uh, to put in to actually watching to to, to play the game. So um, esports has really arisen as almost like a consumer version, um, like a, like we talked about before with watching television of gaming. Now I can talk to this personally because I experienced this when I was a kid. I really wanted a gaming PC. I only had a basic laptop, and I was saving up to earn something better. And so I had a real desire to build a cool gaming PC. But when I was a kid, I had internet access, so I could, I would marvel at watching gameplay of Call of Duty. And, you know, when they throw a smoke, like I'd watch tournaments, they'd throw a smoke grenade and the, the smoke, like now, in, if you looked at it today, it looks pretty horrible. But back then it used to be, you could actually, it looked amazing compared to what I could mm. do on my existing laptop. And even though I didn't have a PC of my own, I could see what the top gamers could see. And that's something that was really cool about esports. It doesn't mean I have to have processing power. It just means I need to be able to watch video. Yeah, and esports really does tr- trigger a desire in people. You, you you see what the pros are doing, just like normal sports, um, and you want to be able to to do what they do. You know, mm. you at least want to be able to try it. And I guess we should just talk a little bit about what esports is. Um, it, it is it is basically that. Um, a lot of these games you can play a multiplayer version of it, so people can join in mm-hmm. and. Like competition sort of stuff. Exactly, yeah. Playing against each other or playing as a team against another team. Esports is basically that, but it's the guys who are super good, like the tippy top mm. of people. Mm. Um, a lot of these esports now, they have professional leagues, they have salaried players, um, and the guys are just insanely good. Um, really, really, really good. So um, that esports is essentially turning gaming into sport. Wow. And... Uh, you, you can now watch people gaming online, but uh, through it, you know, with with a lot of these esports, especially. But there's this benefit of watch of stream of watching people carrying out gaming online. You can watch them play a game, and then you're like, "Hold on, what are they playing? This looks awesome." You don't have to own the game yourself, but you might be like, "This is great. I want to buy it myself." So mm. watching people do stuff then leads you to like. Yeah, that drives the adoption. You can, and this is one thing that you mentioned to me. You actually get to see the pros and how they play. Yeah, 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 and, and you can start to mimic that too. I mean, that's 
that's something that we didn't have a lot when I was younger and I was playing gaming competitively. Uh, it, there just wasn't a lot of visibility. And we'll go into that more. But um, Wait, yeah, you play competitively? Super, uh, yeah, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, so, I, I, um, so I ran a, uh, a pretty large gaming organisation back in the day. What? Uh, How old were you? Oh, I was 14, I think, 13 <laughs> or 14. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and there were, like, grown grown men in that, and it was just, like, it, it, it took off really well. Um, wow. At our peak, we probably had, I think, about 150 members across several games. Um, wow. Had a, had a forum that probably, oh, we were averaging at least 50 posts a day. Uh, what? Probably was more. Um, it was just super vibrant. Um, we started in a game called Freelancer, uh, which was – uh, actually, the same guy that, that's doing Star Citizen now, but Freelancer was like a the first go at like a truly massive space uh, combat game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started in that and then we ended up in Battlefield, Counter-Strike, which is what I mainly played. Well, I played Battlefield and Counter-Strike competitively, but like mm-hmm. Counter-Strike was uh, a lot more and that was more here in Australia. Um, yeah, we had two teams in the top 10 in Australia at one stage way back in the day. Wow. Um, yeah, it was you know it was amazing time. I mean, it, it I think we we operated for about two, about three years maybe, um, and then uh, you know I, I, everyone got busy. I got busy. Um, I think yeah, it, was, it kind of stopped then. But no, it was it was it was awesome, and a lot of that was built on competitive gaming. So well, I, I guess yeah. this comes to now. Like that sounds awesome, man. And anyone who's interested, in, we keep talking about Star Citizen. Check towards the end of the show notes. You'll be able to see the link to our previous episode on Star Citizen, one of my favorite episodes of the FOMO show. Uh, but let's remember, like, not everybody who likes gaming can play games all day. I mean, I don't know about you. I've got a job, um, and I can't play computer games while I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> so so what's the solution for some people? Um, uh, it's, it's streaming. So we'll, we'll go into the history in a little bit, but, um, but you can now jump on a, a site called Twitch or there's another one called Mixer, um, and almost every day there'll be esports tournaments. There'll be some of the top professionals uh, streaming, so video streaming, live streaming their gameplay and interacting with the audience. Um, and, mate, it's one of the ways that I get through the day of work. I generally have a stream going um, down below. And, and when you talk about adoption too, like it's so true. I remember about a year ago, it's actually, it is almost a year ago now I was watching, uh, I was on Twitch just, you know, getting ready to start my day of work. And I saw this new game called Apex being streamed by a whole bunch of, um, uh, professionals and EA had obviously paid them a bunch of money because they had a bunch of followers to stream it, but they didn't do any other marketing. This game came out of nowhere. And within a day, I think they had two or three million people sign up to play this free-to-play game um, simply because they were streaming it on Twitch. Wow. So it's it's you're exactly right that it drives adoption. So um, well, this, this ties directly into competitive gaming. So let's talk a bit about that. Let's just, just go through like a almost like a high-level overview of what esports are all about. Yeah, so esports, um, like I said, it's 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 competitive gaming uh, with professional players. So generally, these players practice, you know, anywhere from ten to sixteen hours a day. Uh, they've generally been playing the game or a game similar to it from around about ten years onwards, uh, ten years old. Wow. Um, they play against each other, generally either one versus one on teams, and 
like you've got to see it to believe it, but you know you can see or anyone you know normal playing a game and it'll look a certain way. But when you watch the pros play it, generally the game will look completely different, and that is because yeah. these professionals, just like real sportsmen and women, are very good at maximizing what they do. So they they take every last inch of. You know, their yeah, particular game. It's like when you're playing. playing Monopoly with your family and you know there's that one person who just understands the banking system and just quantitatively <laughs> eases and prints money and then just <laughs> screws you all over. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's very true. It, 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 like, it, um, you know, it's competitive StarCraft. I mean, some of the signature esports, that, and there's a few of them, I mean, the two massive ones um, that are like got a huge history are Counter-Strike and StarCraft. Um, Counter-Strike is a first-person shooter. StarCraft is a real-time strategy game. Um, and there's also another couple which are really big, uh, Dota, Defense of the Ancients, and League of Legends. And they're what they call MOBAs, which are like um, five versus five, kind of like real-time strategy games, but you're only controlling one character generally wow. and you play it as a team. So um, I've heard of both of them for years and I've never... Never seen or really seen or touched them. Like, yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, look, Dota, I, I, I grew up playing Dota. Um, so I, I think I got introduced to it at a LAN party when I was like 13 or something. And it's it was an old Warcraft 3 mod. Um, so one of the first big Warcraft 3 mods, I think. And it's, um, yeah, it, it really hard game to get into. Like you've almost got to, um, you've almost got to have had someone kind of hold your hand and show you. Um, but once you understand it, it's really complex, really fun to watch. Um, the new version is done by Valve now, the same guys that do Counter-Strike and who did Half-Life, um, and uh, it's got some of the biggest tournaments in the world. Um, super good to watch. I don't know much about League of Legends. I, you know, I, Apologies to anyone that's a fan, but it, I see it as kind of like a, 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 a easy version of Dota. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, it's got a super big competitive scene as well, and there's awesome pro players for that too that are just amazing at what they do. So, yeah. So, so what's the big deal about watching, like especially from streaming platforms, what's the big deal about watching programmers in action? Like what kind of skills can I see? Yeah, okay. Well, let's take a let's say a Counter-Strike player, for example. So Counter-Strike, um, you, uh, you generally have your guns and you go around and you shoot other people and it's very, um, uh, it's, it's kind of hard when you first play it because it's, it's very hard to be accurate. All the different guns have different spray patterns and rates of fire and damage and there's all these different variables. Um, but if you jump into a, you know, a normal game of Counter-Strike, you'll just basically see people running around shooting at each other and generally missing a lot. Um, when you watch a pro gamer stream or play competitively, um, you will see them be very precise. You will see them, for example, if they're throwing, say, a smoke grenade, they will look at the ground, line up pixel perfect where they're standing, look up, line up pixel perfect where they're, sh- where they're throwing it, and then they'll throw it and it'll land exactly where they want it halfway across the map wow. um, because they've spent you know, 10, 20, 30 hours practicing that exact so move. So you just get to watch a master in action. Completely, wow. yeah, and they are they are super um, like like you'll see them pull off shots that should be impossible um, because they're just super super amazing. Um, yeah, do you know? Yeah. I, I, I I remember seeing that. Like when I used to get into Counter Strike back in the day, nowhere near as professionally as you, but you'd see all the best players. They'd like walk through a doorway, aiming their gun at head height, 
at exactly the space at which an enemy is most likely to appear. And that's really cool. But let's, before I jump ahead to that, let's just go into a, like a whistle-stop tour of the history of esports. Now, esports hasn't just turned up out of nowhere. Yeah, so the, the first esports ever played was Space War, uh, which was this really, really basic game. Um, they played a tournament in Stanford Uni in... Uh, 1972. Actually, it wasn't a tournament. It was just a competitive game. So it was the first, you know, competitive game essentially played, and that was in 1972. But it wasn't really until the 1980s. So the first competition, like to proper tournament, um, was in 1980s, and that was a Space Invaders tournament. Now that tournament had 10,000 participants and a whole bunch of media attention. So it was actually quite big for the time. Mm, and uh, so what happened in the 90s? Yeah, so, I mean, all through the 80s, they, you know, ran different tournaments. I think Space Invaders was a big one. There were some Atari games that people were playing. Um, and even in the the 90s, they ran um, uh, some internet competitions as well. But the internet competitions, like it wasn't, the infrastructure wasn't really there. It was kind of hard. Everyone was still on dial-up. Mm. Um, I think Blockbuster back in the day ran a few LAN, uh, like local tournaments as well, uh, because they used to be able to let you rent out like Nintendo games. Um, but it wasn't like a huge deal. Like people were, it was like a hobby for some people, but it was really hard to watch. It was really hard to get to. And the games weren't really there yet. But um, then the, I guess the next big thing that came in was Starcraft. Now, it's hard to understate what this game did for esports. Now, I'm not an expert on StarCraft, but you know, it, it was debuted in what, nineteen ninety six, real time strategy, one versus one chess on steroids is how I think you described it to me. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's it's like a it's there's there's three different sides, there's all sorts of different units. It's very well balanced. Um and it's it's like playing chess but with a thousand more variables, hmm. um, having to make you know, way more actions very quickly and react in real time. So it is definitely like chess on steroids. Um, it was one of Blizzard's earliest games. It had a huge uptake in Korea. So um, when this game started getting played competitively in like 97, 98 was just when Korea was rolling out their massive internet infrastructure. Um, and so this, this game just took off. It started drawing insanely large crowds. Uh, the best players at this game were actually like national personalities. So, um, really, really famous, and it's still going 20 years later. So, um, yeah, it, it just had a massive, massive impact uh, and really showed – it was the first place where gaming, esports really took off and, and huge crowds would rock up. If you even just Google, you know, um, StarCraft crowds Korea, you'll just see like, you know, they had these stadiums on the beach with like tens of thousands of people watching these pro gamers play wow. StarCraft. Um, wow. And uh, it's super deep, like it is, it, the strategies, there are still new strategies coming out for it 20 years later. So it's just, it's amazing. It's crazy. 20 yeah. years afterwards. That was 1996. And yeah. it's, yeah, 2020 now. That's insane. During the 2000s, you know, you had um, about 10 tournaments in 2000, and then there were about 260 tournaments in 2010 for esports. You had WSG, you had DreamHack, IEM. MLG, uh, is that Major League Gaming, something like that? Yeah, yeah, Major League Gaming. Yeah, they, they were really big around 2010 um, because they picked up StarCraft II, um, ah. which, we'll, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, um, yeah, everyone was playing Counter-Strike Source, which was the next version then, oh, that Battlefield was awesome. II. awesome, yes. Yeah, yeah, I was a big big Source big source person. Mm. Um, StarCraft was still big. Dota was quite big. Um, 
But the problem was like it was still really hard to watch things. Like these esports were going on and like we were talking about when we were young, it was it was really hard. I mean, I, I remember trying to find footage of pros playing Counter-Strike Source from other countries was super hard. Mm-hmm. You'd have to download these like files off these random forums and um, – you know, you could, you'd have to watch it. And I remember like you'd sit there and analyze it, but there was no like viewer experience. So if you want to have an actual live experience, generally you'd have to go in person to these tournaments. And everyone was always talking about, you know, how do we get this on TV? How do we get this on TV? Um, and there were a few tries, but no one ever did it really well. Oh, because I remember back in those times, that's when having a screen splitter so that, you know, one cable would go to your screen, the other would go mm. to a a streaming thing. Yeah. You know, that that was that was such a big thing having heart, a, a, a split cable that could send mm. your screen to two different places so that they could stream it. But but how so so when did streaming services become, start becoming okay? Yeah, so from about 2007 onwards the early streaming services start. Um they weren't great, uh but they were that was they were starting to get a little bit better. Um there was a couple of services called uh, Ustream, there was another one called Justin TV. There are a few others around. Um, but, um, yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but as time went on, gamers would actually start to broadcast what they were doing and they could actually start to broadcast it okay. And I remember when StarCraft 2 launched in 2010, that gave it a, a massive kick um, because all of a sudden um, people could uh, – the technology was at such a point that people could stream their games and tournaments – could literally just start a broadcast and they wouldn't have to worry about TV. Mm. They just broadcast on Justin TV mm. or, or Ustream and viewers could just tune in on the website itself. That's awesome. Now, like it just got better and better. And by, by 2014, Justin TV rebranded to Twitch. Now, Twitch is pretty synonymous with esports now, but they, they doubled down on gaming. Now, Twitch, is, Twitch got bought by Amazon more recently. They doubled down on gaming, offered you know, partner programs, sponsorship, salaries, big amount of influx in money. Now, this is important because it meant that you didn't need TV. You know, it could be you, Matt, seeing, you know, working on some really important legal stuff and on another screen just like muted, you could just have some gaming in the background, you know. Uh, games could broadcast themselves so you could actually find out about new games and that had a huge impact on the scene. Yeah, yeah, and look, like the big thing too was like they weren't constrained by TV times. Like the the, the couple of times I tried to start doing esports on TV, it just didn't work real well because games go for all sorts of different lengths of time. Mm. Um, it's not like traditional sports where there's generally like a forty minute period or twenty minute period or whatever. Like it works differently, and it's not exact. Um, but these tournaments now, they could just turn on their internet stream, know the viewers were going to come. And sometimes they'd have like 12 or 14 hour streams, you know, for, for tournaments per day, uh, which for a viewer was awesome because you could wake up in the morning. I remember the American ones, like you'd literally wake up early, turn the stream on and it wouldn't finish till like three, four, five in the afternoon and you'd get like 12 hours of streaming and it was wow. it was great, you know. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and the other thing was too, like these pros who a lot of them still weren't making much money, um, Twitch with their partner programs and their ads – you could jump on and you'd have a following from the people that would watch you in the tournaments. You could stream yourself and you could have like a personal brand and wow. you could make a living off these partner programs and ads and uh, that just had a massive impact on the scene because it just brought in all this extra money. That is crazy and a bunch of big organisations there. And Where are esports now in 2020? 
Yeah, so we are like we're esports in a really healthy place. I mean, we've had ten years of constant growth. The streaming architectures come leaps and bounds. It's just super easy to to consume, access, keep track of esports. You've got unparalleled access to uh, the esports quote unquote athletes. Mm. Um, it is just like Twitter, you know, like the, the insights you get on some of these people, teams, events, even the commentators mm. um, and like the personalities uh, through things like Twitter, through Twitch, all the, all, all the other parts is just amazing. Um, so, wow. um, and, and it, it is making a lot of money. So, um, uh, there's a, a thriving tournament ecosystems across all sorts of different games. Um, ESL just announced, who are like the biggest tournament organization in the world, just announced their next three years. They've got Counter-Strike, StarCraft 2 and Warcraft 3 on their rotation, all these wow. tournaments. It's nuts. Microsoft just launched Mixer, which I think we touched on in a previous yeah. episode, but that's like a Twitch competitor. Mm. Yeah, and they, they, they lured away one of Twitch's biggest streamers um, with a probably a bucket load of money. Yeah, um, to try and promote that, but hey, what, what kind of revenues are the esports market um, making? Yeah, so look for for context. I mean, the total esports revenue in twenty eighteen was nine hundred and six million, so just under a billion dollars. But a year later, in twenty nineteen, it was one point two billion dollars. So it had increased from nine hundred to one point two billion in a year. Wow. So very, very big. That's crazy. And I mean, prize money, there's been like, it, it's it's an Olympic level. You know, these people are great at you know, accuracy and strategy and the, the minds behind this are great. But the prize money, there's more than there's ever been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's um, sponsorship revenues estimated as a top $2.5 billion in 2020. And the prize money for the tournaments themselves, so for the players, um, uh, so Dota 2, for example, had $38 million prize pool last wow. year. Wow. Um, Counter-Strike, $19 million. League of Legends, $12 million. Um, it's just, I mean, Dota 2 is nuts. Wow. They have a they have a community funded and a lot, a lot of more games are moving to this model where they offer like in-game content, premium in-game content, so with a lot of effort put into them. Um, but then a certain portion of that goes to prize pool. So the community can actively fund the prize pool for the gamers, um, which is working really, really well. And we're seeing more and more companies do that. And the viewership figures just keep growing. I mean, you've had in 2017, like there were, there were 335 million frequent esports viewers. Yeah. And, that, and the key there is frequent. So that's not total. I mean, there are a lot more viewers than that, but three, 335 million uh, frequent viewers and enthusiasts watching it. So that's like on a regular basis. In 2017 alone, it was found that 55% of male esports gamers um, spent between one and four hours watching esports daily. So people are learning strategies, seeing how the best do it. It's crazy. There are some yep. huge earners there as well. You've got some big names. I haven't heard of any of these big names, but you've had uh, you know, the, the, this, this top guy, um, Kuroki. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Earning, 30, what is that, 3.7 million yeah, I think this one's actually a bit old because um, this this I think this might be from 2017 maybe. So Kuroki, Miracle, Mind Control, Matumba Man and Universe, which are the top five there, they won the international for Dota that year and a lot of that money is from that prize pool. But even the guys below that, um, uh, they are, you know, they're, they're all Dota players as well. So Dota is like very, um, very much taking out the top earner perspective. But yeah, like top guy there and 
four million bucks in earnings, you know, just um, just as prize money for the year, let alone his salary. These games, these gamers, they're filling out stadiums around the world. You know, there's been reports, you know, 40,000 plus people turning up. They've got opening and closing ceremonies now. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and some of these tournaments run for like a week or two. I think the international runs over uh, two weeks now. And uh, the second week's all in a stadium, you know, so people are showing up every day for a week to watch this stuff. Um, uh, and look, sponsorship is, I think we touched on it, above $2.5 billion worth of sponsorship money pouring into esports now. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's huge, huge business. And a part of the, that reason is because you've got uh, viewers who are very into this and they're spending a lot of time watching it. And generally, if they see someone supporting a tournament, uh, they're a lot more likely to buy um, buy the stuff. I mean, eSports sponsors, they have very, very good response rates. Wow. I mean, it was estimated that the brands would invest around $1.2 billion US dollars in marketing and sponsoring for eSports-related events. And this comes into, you know, energy drinks, you know, classic sort of stuff with the big energy drinks brands there. Yeah, with peripherals and equipment, it's wild. Like you've got a lot of the big game companies, the the people who make chairs and mouse pads and all of the associated stuff, they're bringing in a huge amount of money. I mean, years ago when we were younger, I mean, there was, there was a guy called Fatality. He was this ma- he was really famous gamer and he did his own branded mouses and keyboards and gaming equipment. And that guy, that guy must have made a fortune. He but, made an absolute killing. But, like, now everyone's doing it. I mean, there's just – you see Shroud and all sorts of stuff. You see a whole bunch of the programmers on all sorts of stuff. Um, it's a big deal. And now there's discussions that esports can be made part of the Olympics. Um, there's already huge world circuits. So, StarCraft II has a um, has a massive world circuit, um, although they're, they're moving away from that model now, funnily enough. Um, but – yeah, and there's all sorts of esports organisations as well, um, making a uh, like who are kind of becoming powerhouses in the scene. Wow! <clears throat> now, mainstream sporting teams have even started experimenting with this, but regardless, like some of them have dropped out since. Um, but either way, it just shows how crazy this industry is. There's a huge amount of passion from the fans. There's a huge amount of talent from the people who do all the clicking and thingamajiggering. Well, it's, there's a huge skill ceiling. It's, these games are hard to master. That's one of the important things. Like It's like you watching somebody who's great at poker or any of the other classic games. These games are becoming that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and look, Counter-Strike is a perfect example of that. I mean, it is now well over 20 years old from the original version all the way to this version um, and you know, I've been playing Counter-Strike for nearly 20 years myself. Um, and you know, I, I used to play it competitively. Obviously I stopped, um, you know, well over a decade ago. Um, but, uh, mate, it, like just the difference between the skill level that we were playing at 15 years ago in the quote unquote pro scene, um, compared in Australia compared to now is just, it, it, it's obscene. Like these guys are just amazing but every year it gets better i mean even just the tournaments we've had for the start of this year and there's only been a couple um some of these new teams that are coming up are are just um so phase like this is literally just happened a couple of days ago phase clan who are a relatively new team they got a couple of new guys on the team 
uh, beat Team Liquid, who were the second best team in the world. Wow. And they didn't just beat them, they flogged them. <laughs> um, they had all these new all these new strategies, a, kind of a fresh way of playing that hadn't really been seen before. And, um, yeah, they just wiped the floor with them. And so there's just constant progression and it just shows that just like real sports, um, these esports, particularly these really popular ones, the skill ceiling is just super high. Wow. So... I guess the next question is, where are we going from here? It looks like the only way is up. I mean, every metric that we've found, and we did a fair bit of research before this just to just to work on the figures, uh, shows that the esports industry is trending uh, up every single year. So, market revenue from 2012 to 2021, um, we've got a you know a, a graph that shows that, and it's gone from you know about 120 million dollars all the way up to 1.6 billion dollars projected for uh 2020 and 2021 wow it's insane viewership's been growing frequent viewers and enthusiasts have been growing it's projected to drop just a little bit but occasional viewers are also jumping massively so there's a massive growth in the audience there's a growth from advertisers Let's talk about some of the other really interesting things in gaming. Let's talk about the VR connection here. Yeah, so VR is really the next frontier of gaming. And we've heard about VR for 10 years now and we're still not really there. But things are starting to come out. And and the big one, of course, is Valve's upcoming Half-Life VR game. Uh, Just like Half-Life 2 did for... um, the, uh, the the gaming scene back then, I think it might do a similar thing for the VR scene now. Mm. Um, and what that means, like if, if, if esports moves to VR, it will mean that people will suddenly be competing in three dimensions instead of two dimensions mm. with a lot more inputs and uh, a lot more going on in the space. I mean, just just say, if you haven't put a VR headset on, try and find your local VR um, meetups, VR meetups. Check those out because put a headset on and have a look at what that's all about. Because you replace your entire reality of what's in front of you, including your audio, with um, a 3D world. You can move your hands and body in a 3D world, holding some handsets. It's crazy. There's mm. there's uh, there's a VR leap, and the technology that's coming with the new PlayStation and the new Xbox is is really ready for it. Yeah. So and you can you can take a look at the search volume and the stats. I mean, every December that if you look at the statistics, there does seem to be a huge jump in virtual reality topic search volume, and that's because people are looking for Christmas presents. And up up until now, it it hasn't really been there yet, but with Valve's Index, um, which is their VR headset that they recently launched, and there's a number of other um, headsets that are coming out soon, it it really is starting to get there. Mm, mm. And it it used to be the early adopters who had the VR headsets. One of our friends, he had a VR headset. He Mm. bought it along to a, a whiskey event that we all had. We all drank whiskey and he bought his headset along. Crazy. But now, like, it's becoming more and more popular. I mean, take a look at this game. Um, uh, we've got the link in the show notes. It's called Boneworks, B-O-N-E-W-O-R-K-S. Mm. Now, have you seen this before? Yes, I have. Yeah, I actually watched it on Twitch. Yes. enough, I watched um, some streamers playing it, and it is nuts. It's exactly this. Now, it's like imagine, you just replace your existing reality where you put this headset on and all of a sudden in front of you, there are a bunch of zombies, but they're basically crash test dummies. And you're in VR, you have your, um, you've got your hands, you can move around, you can hold a gun, you can hold a sniper rifle. 
There's this amazing moment. I think it's about um, four minutes, 20 seconds. Wow, that's weird. Um, exactly through the video where the person who's playing it literally takes one of these zombies, picks them up and puts them into a locker, like in a school locker room locker. They literally push one of these. He's just pushing him in there. Yeah, it's insane. Like virtual reality is going to become the gaming reality. You put on your headset, you'd sit down in your comfy chair, and you're in another place entirely. And that is really the future of gaming. Like it completely transforms you. Like up till now, we've just been looking at our screens and it looks awesome. But this is next level. Yeah, yeah, completely. And uh you know, just like everything else, I mean, it takes some time, but once things finally start taking off and people really get into it, it's it's just going to make a big leap. Um, and it just means that there's going to be new ways to experience live games. I mean, I, I, I can already see that, um, that VR is going to be awesome for the spectator experience. So you'll be able to put on your VR headset, effectively sit almost in the crowd for some of these uh, gaming events and yeah. actually pretend that you're there, mm. you know? Mm. And that's the thing. Most of these players could be playing just in front of their computer screen, but all games are 3D, so that means you could actually spectate in VR. Yeah. You could even... Yeah, and sorry. You can can even have someone else control that view, but you have the complete 3D experience on your Mm. headset. Um, And you've just got to look at what Microsoft are doing with their HoloLens, you know? Um, They have... um, they basically have this like blended reality thing going on and that you can actually spawn like Minecraft stuff into your, your, your kitchen, you know, and start moving like blocks around and going for a bit of a dig and uh, they're just doing some super cool stuff. Wow, um, yeah. Lens is a little bit expensive and I think that's why it's not really hitting the mainstream just yet. But, you know, just like anything, like this stuff gets cheaper and cheaper as time that's goes That's exactly on. what it is with VR because – all of the money, right? The reason it's so expensive because it's so advanced. Like mm. now, like just just think about it from a YouTube perspective. You can watch YouTube videos with a VR headset. Um, mm. See how mm. big a dinosaur is. Like how big is a T Rex? Yeah. You can't tell that from your computer screen. But if you put a VR headset on, because you've got two eyes, it really gives you the scale of how big that dinosaur is. Mm. And that's what VR does. It does give you scale. It gives you a tactile experience that you don't really get with a computer screen, you know, because it's a flat plane, whereas this, it, yes, you're still, technically you're still looking into a flat plane, um, but you have the illusion of uh, three dimensions. Mm, mm. Uh, next topic, I guess, is Stadia. Now, this is, um, this is something that Google have been driving really hard. This is basically Google servers run all the graphics processing and you – can stream a game in real time to your computer without needing a powerful computer. Now, how's that been going? Not great. Um, and, and look, I want to kind of take the opportunity to talk about um, the Xbox version of it, which is I think it's called Xstream. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, let me, just, let me just look this up right now uh, because Microsoft have a version of this as well. And um, what, it, what, it, what they both effectively are, is they are um, streaming all of the game content to your device, so through your browser or through even through your phone. Um, and I saw someone had their phone hooked up to their Xbox controller just today and they were streaming an Xbox game in, which they owned, um, and you know it was loading in all the assets and letting them play basically without much latency 
without having installed the game, without having to have any hardware because all the processing's done on the server side mm. and then it's streamed in. Yeah, so it's just like watching a YouTube video. You don't need to have some sort of video encoding. You just need to be able to stream video and it's streaming yep. games. Yeah, yeah, and this is a this is a big deal. I mean, Stadia launched. It hasn't had the best launch. Um, I think Google probably rushed it to get it out before the Xbox version came out. Uh, there, yeah. There's a lot of complaints about latency, uh, a lot of complaints about too much lag because the reality is like your data is having to go back to the server and then come back and then go back to the server and come back again. So it's not like a multiplayer game. Like you've got – it has to come back twice because it has to feed you the – um, the the game data and then it has to take your input yeah. and then make an action and then feed you that data again yep. and there's yep. like there's you this move extra your mouse and that has to go back there and then it has to go exactly there. It, yeah you got to have fast internet for that yeah yeah and look Stadia have been playing with some uh, artificial intelligence machine learning kind of stuff to basically predict what you're going to do so you get the illusion that you're controlling the game but uh, it's like kind of reading everyone's actions and aggregating that and. Uh, you almost wouldn't be in a lot of ways, which is which is really strange and kind of freaky. Um, Microsoft are doing it a little bit more where they are just sending you the data, but um, they've just got it super optimized. Yeah. And uh, I've heard I've heard some really good things about their streaming platform. Of course, the the big issue is you need a lot of data to run it. Uh, you need a really good connection, and uh, you know, in places like Australia, for example, we don't really have that. Mm-hmm. Yet, um, I think it was XCloud is what Microsoft XCloud. was working on. That's XCloud. it. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes because um, now we do, we haven't done enough research into it yet, but it's it's pretty exciting either way. And it just it, I guess it's tricky from their side because if you're going to move your mouse, they need to render every potential thing that you're going to do mm. in advance, which wastes a lot of computing power in order to have immediately ready the next thing that you see on your screen. So, yeah, xCloud is streaming Xbox game, games from the, the cloud. But let, let's just project this. Forget that. Let's just project this forward into the future. You're going to be able to stream, like in 10 years from now, you're going to be able to stream a VR experience directly from a data center to you in 4K or more, 8K probably in 10 years. The graphics are getting crazy. The engines are getting crazy. It's getting easier than ever to build stuff. So there are going to be more, more games than ever made. Mm. Like it's never mm. been easier to build games. And this is what our children. You have had a daughter recently, and hopefully she doesn't get too stuck into gaming. But this is going to be normal for her. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it will be. Um, Provided the, we have the infrastructure to do it. And I think that's one of the big issues at the moment is like the tech's kind of forging ahead. But, um, you know, a lot of us can't even run our Amazon Prime stream at 4K yet, let alone mm. our games. But um, so, so, so the infrastructure definitely needs to ha- catch up, but it will. Yeah, it definitely will. And, um, and all, everything's going on demand. Everything's going as a service. And we've seen that with... Uh, you know, TV. I was, I've listened, recently been listening to Business Wars, which is a podcast. Oh, great and, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've been listening to the Netflix versus Blockbuster one. And it's just so interesting, like the attitudes from 10, 15 years ago towards content streaming and uh, even hearing how like the Netflix CEO learned after a few mistakes to really play down 
you know, they were saying, oh, we're no threat to cable. We're not going to not gonna hurt television, you know. The, and, and like, the, the, the cable CEOs were like, who would ever? Like, how could they ever take on our industry? But um, very quickly, um, Netflix has kind of risen to, you know, be this behemoth and mm. make a massive dent in the way that people consume content. I mean, I, we don't even have a, a, a television hooked up to tr- terrestrial TV here at home anymore, you know. Like, everything we watch is over the internet, generally from Netflix or Amazon Prime or um, KO, which is like the sports streaming service, um, mm. and then or Twitch, you know. Um, and I think that's just going to be more and more normal for everyone our age and younger. Mm. That's how we're going to consume our games too, you know. It's going to be on demand. It's going to be through services. Um, it's true. So true. So the, yeah. I guess there's an interesting golden goose. Now, I don't think either of us do this, but what's a, what about betting? Yeah, I mean, it may seem a bit weird to talk about betting after all the other stuff we've talked about, but um, but betting is actually just probably the the, the largest money maker in the gaming and esports industry. Um, betting, it's only quite recent too. Like there never used to be that much esports betting, but um, recently it's just become huge. And by twenty twenty, they're projecting that esports betting revenue is going to top $1.8 billion uh, US dollars. And for perspective, that was only 24 million US dollars in 2016, four years ago. So from, from, from in those four years, it's gone from $24 million to $1.81 billion. Um, It's massive, massive uh, business. And the, the reason it is, is because there's so many games, you've got very knowledgeable viewers who are spending a lot of time watching these things um, there's in-game rewards, there's gamified aspects to this betting. It's, it's basically just like another game, you know, it's an extension of, of everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and man, I got to admit, like I watched a, like I watched a fair bit of Counter-Strike and um, there was a moment towards the end of last year where an, this up-and-coming Aussie team, which I'd followed for quite a while, um, were playing Team Liquid, who, you know, is another team that I really follow closely and, I'm a fan of both of them, but and they were they weren't projected to even like come close to beating them, and I I almost put a bet on it. it would have been the first time in my life, and I was going to bet on this Aussie team. It was like ten to one, you know, like the odds were really really good if you if you won for the Aussie the Aussie team, um, and I didn't. But you know, in high, they ended, they ended up winning. It was like one of the biggest upsets in wow. in uh, esports history. You know these, and they they since been signed to a new team, and they're doing really well. Um, but yeah, I just remember like, and and that kind of brought it home for me. I'm like, a, a lot of people who watch esports are probably like that. You know, they they've got a lot of context, they consume a lot of content, and they probably actually feel somewhat confident placing mm. bets. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, massive, massive growth industry, well, and we're only going to see that continue. Speaking about growth industries, I mean, let's look at the TV side of things. I mean, TV has been the biggest aha moment for esports. I mean, viewership is changing. I don't know about you. I haven't personally owned a television, well, in my entire life because yep. as far as I've been alive, I've been able to connect up to the TV or connect a PC there and stream things. And yeah. viewership is changing. The 35 and under demographic, like all of us, like we, uh, obviously there are people who listen who are older than 35, but I mean, most of us who listen to this show, we consume content online. We stream it. Netflix, Amazon Prime, wherever we stream it from, we don't generally watch live TV. So esports mm. doesn't really want t- terrestrial, ex- traditional TV, 
but we yeah. can still watch stuff live via the internet. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that's yeah, that's you're exactly right. That's been the aha moment that they can control the content. They don't need to fit in with broadcasters and all, everything that brings. They can essentially just run their own stream and mm. do it do it how they want to do it, which is great for viewers. It's really really good. Mm, mm. Um, there's also purpose-built esports locations going up all around the world, what? and that's actually continuing. That's um, crazy. Yeah, yes. There's already several in Europe. Uh, there's a few in North America. There's actually a couple going up here in Australia now too. There's one in Melbourne, which uh, every every day now they seem to be putting up a new uh, update of some new area they've built. Uh, oh, it's called Fortress. Esports and gaming venue. That looks. Yeah. They've made that look really. It's like a cinema. Yes. But yeah. it looks so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's purpose-built. It's got a bar. It's got an arena. It's got that like a insane. massive land cafe. Um, yeah. It's going to be super cool. Wow. Uh, my dream is to bring one of them to Brisbane. I'd actually love to love to have one um, have one up here as well. So, uh, yeah. I guess a big, big problem in the future is going to be doping, you know, all these people taking Adderall. Well, actually, that's already been a controversy in the industry. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it Crazy. has. Yeah. I guess we're going to see VR and AR come into that. So, I mean, you look at that, there's a venue in Melbourne purpose-built for gaming venue stuff. You can see gamers play in real time, all this stuff. But you just project that forward just five years and you and I could watch in VR as if we're in that Melbourne location watching yep. those people game in real time as well as seeing this. It's, in, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It mm. is. Um, I mean, we've we had a. I think we did have a whole episode on VR way back in the day, and we we delved into a lot of that. You know, like what will the world look like under VR? Um, Dude, that was episode twenty three. We talked about um, virtual reality. Amazon turned all of their products in India into three D, so that you could right. do a three D shopping experience. And we got super excited about VR there. So um, episode 23, check that out. What the one, the one thing eSports has shown me is that PC is still really the dominant platform in eSports. Um, there's a lot of hype over consoles, but most of the eSports money is actually pouring into PCs. And uh, that, uh, that's partly because I think they offer the highest skill level. Like we talked about the skill ceiling before, um, because you're using a mouse and a keyboard and it's very, very exact. Uh, the, the games that have gotten really popular, like Counter-Strike, StarCraft, Dota, um, they're all, you know, mechanically demanding mm. and the the, the the platform that, you know, promotes that the most is the PC platform. Mm. So, um, yeah, for all these people that said PC was going to die, it's had a bit of a renaissance yeah. because of all the esports that have been yeah. running on top of it. Well, it's it's for those people who like customising stuff. I mean, like, let's move into another part where so it's, it's not, you know, PCs are not just irrelevant quite yet. Let's look at advertisers. They're really considering esports. The money's been piling in. The demand has been growing. Um, so maybe gaming wasn't such a such a waste of time at all. Hey, yeah, yeah. Like our parents, you know, may have told us back in the day. I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you know, the guys who are, the guys who are playing this stuff and, and at the top level are making a lot of money. Mm. Um, Dota two, the guys are making. I think we said before, like there was a forty million, fifty million dollars worth of. Uh, money that went into it uh, for the prize pool last year, you know, like, um, and the thing is too, like, it, it's not a lot of cost to get good at gaming. Like, all you need is really a PC and an internet yeah. now, yeah. you know, and that's why a lot of these emergent regions where there's just a little bit more ex- expendable income now um, are up and coming. There's um, there's an increasing presence from places like Brazil, Mexico, Russia, 
China, Southeast Asia. I mean, I, I heard recently the top Brazilian CSGO, Counter-Strike Global Operations or Global Offensive, that, that top streamer had over 80,000 concurrent viewers for a local tournament, so not even an yeah, international Yeah, and he was, in, he was talking in Brazilian too for that or, or Portuguese. Far um, out. Like he was just like that was that actually blew my mind. I logged on and uh, I saw like I was like 80K and then he, he was just some – yeah, some local tournament, but Brazilians are just fanatical about CSGO. Like, it is huge. They've got a couple of teams that travel internationally, and whenever they're playing, um, the viewership numbers just skyrocket. Um, and, you know, th- there's a lot of teams coming out of those areas, and they're punching above their weight now. I mean, Australia's another one. Um, we've got a you know relatively small scene here, but they do pretty well when they travel internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's project this forward a little bit more now. We have got a massively growing seniors market. Now, mm. I say seniors, they're not that old. I mean, obviously, you and I, we were 12 just a day ago. You're going to be sitting in a nursing home. You're going to be bored out of your skull. There's a nurse who's trying to tell you jokes about something. And honestly, you look at the elderly people now, that with, and with more and more elderly people that are coming in, especially in Western countries, VR is going to be amazing. Like it's, and it yep. already is. Like you can go and travel anywhere in the world. You can see what Venice looks like. You can see what the underwater looks like. You can watch things. You can learn things. Like elderly people, like old people's homes are going to be massive booms for the yep. VR experience. Yep, definitely. I mean, you know, instead of sitting there and playing bridge with everyone, um, you can whack on a VR headset and, yeah, go wherever you want or have a cinema experience or – Learn something new. I mean, it's just you're exactly right. It's it's super cool. Um, I think a lot of that tech is going to make a big difference in a lot of those places. Mm. Now, there was one game that we're a massive fan of. The, this game is planning on being around for a pretty long time. Just give it a quick snippet to get people excited about what that's all about. Uh, so the game is Star Citizen. Now, Star Citizen, uh, they have set out with the uh, really ambitious goal of building a high-fidelity, um, super large, super accurate future universe. So basically like a galaxy um, mm. where everything is super well rendered. The economy works um, properly behind the scenes. If you jump in a spaceship, the spaceship actually has fuel flowing around the pipes, which they've programmed in, goes into the engine, which you know, which is programmed to operate a certain way and, wow. and gives propulsion you know like out of its thrusters mm. accurately um uh, it's just super ambitious it's, it's take it's completely crowdfunded so um it's the largest crowdfunded game in history um no major publisher involved and they've been building it for i think seven and a half years now so it's it's taken a fair while there's been some false starts there's been some issues but Go watch one of the latest videos. Like it is just mm. uh, the fidelity is mind boggling. It's a real look into the future of what games are going to be like. Um, check it out. Our episode, episode thirty six, Star Citizen. And I wanted to add a really final point on really, really future games. When you and I are in an old people's home, sitting around talking about in my day, you know, we used to be able to plug in a cable and we'd be into the internet. Um, in the really distant future, you're going to be able to build a game just by voice alone. You say, okay, mm. Google, let's build a game. Okay, uh, what kind of game do you want to build? I want to build a shoot 'em up Cool. Um, 
what kind of time period? What kind of this? Like building a game in the future, mm. it could be wild. You could put a VR headset on that from nowhere, just like the Matrix. You're just like, I want to build a game. Yeah. And the and the headset delivers. Wow. Anyway, that's that's just like a random thought, but I figure no, man, I mean, when we when we're ancient, that could be a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's there's a book called Ready Player One. I don't know if you've read it. Um, Seen the but, movie? Um, no, I haven't read it. Oh, no, it doesn't. Ugh. They, didn't, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't do that. They didn't do the book justice oh, really? at all with that movie. It was a Steven Spielberg special. Oh, um, uh, but I mean, look, it probably still had some. It's probably still had some of the same elements, though. Like basically, it was like a. You know, v, the VR had become the real world. The, the real world outside had gone to crap, so everyone was living in VR. And people would literally do that. They'd build their own little, you know, little worlds mm. inside worlds. And, yeah, that is completely feasible, like t- 10, 20 years from now. I mean, you know, a lot of people now escape the real world through suspending their disbelief by gaming and watching TV shows. And, like, if they can literally build their own little world, um, and kind of immerse himself in it, I think that's going to be really popular. Wow. Wow. Super exciting. Uh, yeah. That's it for our gaming feature. Really enjoyed making it. If you've got anything to add, any cool potential bits of future for the gaming industry, just let us know. If you know someone who might enjoy this, um, please feel free to share it with them. Uh, you can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram, which is our encrypted chat thingamajiggy at FOMO.show forward slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And YouTube at FOMO.show forward slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player or subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Awesome, man. Take two. <laughs> Take oh, two. Mate. Yeah, thanks for letting me re-record, man. Like, uh, oh, I mate, just, it's fine. Yeah, it's I, I just wasn't in the energy last episode. Like, I just, I'm keen. I'm now keen. It's not like we go for volume anyway with our show, like mm. as far as releases. It's, it's more, you know, we, we're a little bit more spaced out. And that way we've got a story to tell mm. about something. So, mm. Mm. yeah, it's fine, man. It's all mm. good. Coin of the week, ICO of the day. I was listening back to some of our early episodes, and holy, mm. makes me embarrassed, yeah. mate. It makes me. <laughs> it was a different. It was a different time. It was a different time. It was a different yeah. time. <laughs> Let's talk about the VR connection here. Uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I really dropped it in your hair. <laughs> <Lol>. <laughs>